Welcome to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Wolchansky, Director of the Pediatric Gastroenterology Unit at Hebrew University's Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem. And we're here to discuss how the nutritional deficiencies of CF can be affected by CFTR modification therapy. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences, Vertex Pharmaceuticals, AbbVie, and Chaisi USA. Learning objectives for this audio program include describe the findings that explain the cause of weight gain in patients with CF taking Ivacaftor, and explain how exocrine pancreatic functions may be improved with Ivacaftor treatment. Dr. Olshansky has disclosed that he has served on an advisory board and received consulting fees from Vertex Pharmaceuticals. He has also indicated that he will not be referencing the unlabeled or unapproved uses of any drugs or products in today's presentation. Dr. Olshansky, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be part of this. Thank you very much. In your newsletter issue, Doctor, you analyzed some of the recent literature describing the relationship between CFTR-related dysfunction in the GI tract and treatment with CFTR modifiers. Our focus today is to explain how some of that new information can translate into clinical practice change. So let me ask you to start us out, if you would please, Doctor, with a patient scenario. So I'd like to present a 17-year-old female patient who is homozygote for the G551D mutation of CFTR. And this mutation is a treatment called Ivacaftor. And she has gained six kilograms in weight in the last six months, but she has not changed her diet. And she's had some laboratory results, which include a fecal calprotectin, which changed from 315 micrograms per gram down to 175 micrograms per gram. And in fact, her stool output has decreased from four a day to around two a day. And on further testing, her resting energy expenditure has decreased. So calprotectin, resting energy expenditure, should we consider these to be biomarkers? I think we can. They are tests of intestinal function. These tests of intestinal function, these biomarkers, Help us understand their significance. Uh, fecal calprotectin, what is that measuring? Fecal calprotectin is a laboratory test used very commonly in the last few years. And it is, of course, a painless test. It is a test of feces, so it just measures stool, and it measures inflammation in the intestine. And it is based on white blood cells, which, of course, are increased in inflammation. It is very commonly used in Crohn's disease. And there have been some studies in cystic fibrosis that this test is indeed abnormal in individuals with CF. And more than that, some studies have shown that with certain treatments, certainly with treatments like probiotics, which changes the intestinal flora, that the calprotectin is changed towards zero. In other words, it is reduced and that is good. In the article I reviewed in the newsletter from Virginia Stallings from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, they looked at energy balance and mechanisms of weight gain after Ivacaftor treatment. And in this article, they did look at fecal calprotectin before and after Ivacaftor treatment and found a significant reduction, which is showing that the inflammation in the intestine in these patients with CF was reduced after Ivacaftor treatment. 
The 17-year-old young woman you presented, her fecal calprotectin declined, which, as you just explained, showed an improvement in intestinal inflammation. Talk to us about the importance of this decreased intestinal inflammation. This is very important. Our patients really suffer from intestinal symptoms, including increased stool output and diarrhea, and in fact, fat in the stool. And this may be partly, at least, due to inflammation in the intestine. So if we could actually improve the inflammation in the intestine, a lot of these symptoms will be improved. And that is why it is important to measure intestinal inflammation after treatment with drugs like Ipecaftor. And the other marker you mentioned, resting energy expenditure? Resting energy expenditure is one of the methods of nutritional status, which can be measured in all ages. And it shows that it measures the energy which is expended by the patient. And this has been shown to be decreased after Ivacaftor treatment. And this decrease in resting energy expenditure probably contributes to the gain of weight by these patients after treatment with Ivacaftor. So let's stay with weight gain for the moment. In your newsletter issue, you explain the evidence describing the effect of weight gain with CFTR-modifying treatment. The patient you've presented to us here gained six kilos in six months. So simply and specifically, why is weight gain important? Nutritional status is directly related to lung function. Patients with cystic fibrosis have deteriorating lung function, and it has been shown that if their nutritional status is improved, their lung function also improves. So it is very desirable for our patients to gain weight. Now, this is something you didn't address directly in your newsletter issue, but isn't there a concern that clinicians are now seeing patients with cystic fibrosis who are overweight? This is a very interesting question. My pulmonology colleagues always try to push the weight in their patients for the reason I said before that the nutritional status is related to pulmonary status. However, what has happened with Ivacaftor is that many of our patients have in fact gained what they think to be too much weight. I know personally from very many patients that uh, they do not want to gain that much weight. And there have been various discussions among patients who are actually going on a weight-reducing diet on Ivacaftor. Thank you for that case and discussion, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Michael Wyshansky from Hebrew University in Jerusalem in just a moment. You've been listening to a Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine E-Cystic Fibrosis Review podcast. If you're unfamiliar with our program, we're a combination newsletter and podcast continuing educational series. We're available online without cost or prerequisite. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review newsletters are published every other month. Each issue focuses on a specific area of importance in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis and is authored by an expert clinician who reviews the current literature and provides commentary. In the month following each newsletter, a case-based podcast discussion, like the one you've been listening to, focuses that expert perspective on translating the new information into clinical practice. Continuing education credit for E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is jointly provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information about E-Cystic Fibrosis Review, please go to our website, ecysticfibrosisreview.org. And if you're interested in additional CF programs, please visit dkbmed.com forward slash CF. And one more thing. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast and found the information useful, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that others can find it as well. Thank you. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. We've been speaking with Dr. Michael Wyshansky, Director of the Pediatric Gastroenterology Unit at Hebrew University's Hadassah Medical Center, about how treatment with CFTR modulators can affect the nutritional deficiencies seen in individuals with cystic fibrosis, and most importantly, what that information can mean to clinical practice. So let's continue in that vein, if you would please, doctor, with another patient scenario. I'd like to present a two-year-old patient with cystic fibrosis who is homozygous for the G551D mutation, and weight gain occurred four kilos after six months of treatment. And a stool test called fecal elastase improved from 50 micrograms per gram to 250 micrograms per gram. And a three-day fecal fat test improved from 68% to 85%, six months after Ivacaftor therapy. Fecal elastase, fecal fat, uh, are those other biomarkers clinicians need to be better aware of? Fecal elastase is a laboratory test which measures the release of pancreatic enzymes into the intestine. All of us release enzymes into the intestine, assuming that our exocrine pancreas is working properly. And this can be measured, and it is a simple stool test, of course, very useful for children as it is totally pain-free. However, patients whose exocrine pancreas is not working, the result will be very low. And this is common in the vast majority of our patients with cystic fibrosis. And fecal fat? Fecal fat is a measure of the patient's ability to digest and absorb fat from the diet. Patients whose the pancreas is functioning normally are extremely good at absorbing fat. If the pancreas is not working well, this means that the fat which is ingested is excreted from the intestine and there is increased fat in the stool. And it is a fecal fat measurement. This is a very established method of showing that the pancreas does not work adequately. And it, is, it works as a percentage of how much fat the patient eats. So if the percentage of fat is too high, it means that the patient is excreting too much fat. So you said in the presentation that this patient's fecal elastase and fecal fat both improved after Ivacaftor therapy. What's the significance of those improvements? So this result is nothing less than astonishing. In the article by Margaret Rosenfeld et al., this was shown that in young children with cystic fibrosis who were treated with Ivacaftor, there was an increase in fecal elastase. And this shows something which we had not seen before at all. We were taught in medical school that a patient with cystic fibrosis, pancreas does not work and will not work at all. And this dogma that the pancreas cannot recover is now being challenged. And this is the first time that we have shown that the pancreas may recover. And the old dogma that the pancreas remains not functioning is untrue. This may lead to our patients being able to at least reduce their pancreatic enzyme therapy. In today's podcast, as well as in your newsletter issue, 
You've helped us better understand some of the nutrition-related GI benefits that can result from CFTR-modulating therapy. Uh, my question to you, doctor, is where do you think all this might lead? I think we have been thinking all the time that it's only the lung function which improves on these therapies. And I've shown in these couple of cases and the articles that there is now a bigger chance of improving intestinal and pancreatic function. And this will create a terrifically positive impact on the quality of life of patients with cystic fibrosis. Improving their nutritional status, improving their lung function will be going together with this, possibly even less medication. And this is an extremely positive effect of new therapies of cystic fibrosis. With improvements in new drugs in care of cystic fibrosis, we will be aiming not just for improvements in lung function, but also in intestine and pancreas. And we will be aiming for normal nutritional status in our patients with cystic fibrosis. Thank you, Dr. Wolshansky, for sharing your expertise and insight in today's cases. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing the key takeaways as they relate to our learning objectives. So to begin, the cause of weight gain in patients with CF taking Ivacaftor. What does the clinician need to know? In summary, we have shown that Ivacaftor treatment does result in weight gain, and this weight gain may be explained by certain mechanisms like decreased resting energy expenditure and decreased gut inflammation, as shown by reduced calprotectin, and improved fat malabsorption, and also the possibility that the exocrine pancreas may be improved. All these factors together are exciting for our patients with cystic fibrosis who can look forward to an improvement in nutritional status and quality of life. And our second objective, how exocrine pancreatic function may be improved with Ivacaftor treatment. Our second take-home message is that we are able to change the dogma that the pancreas cannot recover. Studies now show that there is improved fecal elastase, and this is nothing less than astonishing, and this will possibly lead to patients being able to at least reduce some of the medications which are used for pancreatic enzyme therapy. Once again, this improvement in pancreatic function will lead to improved nutritional status and improved quality of life in patients with cystic fibrosis. From Hebrew University's Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem, Dr. Michael Wolshansky, thank you for participating in this eCystic Fibrosis Review podcast. It has been a pleasure to have been part of this program. Thank you very much indeed. For eCystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org forward slash test. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the eCystic Fibrosis Review newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with cystic fibrosis. 
This activity has been developed for the CF care team, including pulmonologists, pediatric pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, pediatricians, infectious disease specialists, respiratory therapists, dietitians, nutritionists, pharmacists, nurses and nurse practitioners, physical therapists, and others involved in the care of patients with cystic fibrosis. There are no fees or prerequisites for this activity. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the essential areas and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education through the joint sponsorship of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive e-cystic fibrosis review via email, please go to our website, www.ecysticfibrosisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, and GEC USA Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.